Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with a promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Greg, I'll start with you. I know you've been around the program this week. The Heels are back in town. After a long break, some players went home, some stuck around. Florence provided um, an extra week off during the season for North Carolina. Some say it's a good thing to recalibrate. Others say, eh, don't know, that, don't know if it matters that much. Your take and your thoughts on that after uh, some press availability earlier this week. Well, I think the key takeaway is that nobody wanted the UCF game canceled. And I know some fans will say, well, it's going to be a loss anyway, so, so it may as well. But the, the players and the coaching staff and the, and the program, any of the fans, I think, in, largely in general, uh, did not want to have to skip a game because of weather. But it's what happened. And so once you kind of get past the, the frustration of not having the game, you've got to find a way to, to kind of create a positive out of it. And so what North Carolina did last week is the game was canceled on Tuesday, uh, on Wednesday morning they had a, a kind of a basic fundamental practice, kind of getting back to you know, training camp, what they needed to focus on to get better as a team. And then they split after that and were gone for pretty much five days. And so there's a little bit of a shakeup in terms of how their schedule played out at the beginning of this week, because typically what North Carolina does is when they come in after a game on Saturday, uh, they'll, they'll do a corrections practice period Sunday afternoon where They'll go in and look at that film. Then they get on the uh, practice field and they actually go through where the mistakes were made so the guys kind of can flush it out and do some conditioning work. That did not happen on Sunday. That happened on Monday this week. So they basically just flipped Sunday and Monday. And then Tuesday they started their typical game week install. And so you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is kind of a standard protocol for them. But in talking with the players this week, I mean, I, I think I think they understand – that while the defense played good against Cal, nobody played good against ECU. And it was interesting talking with Jeremiah Clark on Wednesday because he, he made the comment, hey, you know, East Carolina uh, just outplayed us. They, they wanted it more than we did. And then he added the fact that, hey, we're going to make sure that we don't take anybody lightly the rest of the year, which very much sounded like they admitted to taking ECU lightly, which I know we did, right? I mean – on this podcast, we certainly did, and a lot of people in the fan base did. But you wouldn't think maybe the players would, especially how last year went. But that's the water under the bridge. Uh, so, so maybe they, they are actually refocused. Uh, they, they, they are saying the right things. The coaching staff is saying the right things. So when you factor in, they've had a lot of success against Pitt. They've won five in a row. Uh, that's probably the, the best opponent you want to have in your ACC opener. So there's a lot of good things, I think, operating for North Carolina entering this game. 
but it's also one of those games, Tommy, you know, we talk about the must-win games. And I'm not a big fan of saying any game is a must-win. But, man, if you don't win Tommy this sure game. Is. God, <laughs> and I'm going to say it again. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't win this game, you look at this schedule and say, where is a win going to come from? Uh, you start thanking God they uh, scheduled Western for the second <laughs> to the last season. <laughs> A couple things from your response I want to get Jason's thought on. Uh, it, if North Carolina's taking anybody lightly, then we talked about culture issues. Uh, that's a gigantic one because under no circumstances should any member of that football team or staff or anybody, um, and we should be smart enough to know better um, after our great predictions over the last couple of years, uh, that's mind-blowing if they tacitly admit to taking East Carolina lightly. So, Jason, your thoughts on how does that even remotely happen um, for a program in the shape that North Carolina's is? I have utterly no idea how <laughs> anyone in the North Carolina program is taking anybody lightly at this point. That that whole thing is just completely baffling to me. I have no idea. I have uh, got Jason Staples speechless. I I, just, I mean, still, I just I cannot I cannot imagine. I mean, you're a team that has struggled to beat anybody, to be competitive in some games over the last two years, and you're going to take a game lightly. Okay. Here, I'm going to read you the exact quote so everybody kind of understands what this is. This is from Jeremiah Clark. We're definitely going to take a different approach going into this game and never underestimate any opponent that we play for the rest of the season. I don't want to get on the kids specifically because that doesn't just come out of a player's mouth if that's not a, a system-wide thing maybe. Uh, but just wow wow to me jason you thought greg what did you think when he said that and and again i'm not doing it to pick on jeremiah clark specifically it could have been uh the third string long snapper and i would still be asking how does that happen so no disrespect to clark at all but greg your thoughts i mean i i would imagine that if i'd heard that that would have been audible gasp <laughs> when he made that statement well, I think I think the key takeaway is kind of what you, you alluded to there, Tommy, is that Jeremiah Clark has played in more games along the defensive line in his career than anybody else on this team. Uh, he's a fifth-year senior. Uh, he's he's a leader of this this defense. And I think in that situation, he was he was being honest and being forthright in terms of kind of how things played out against ECU, how they wanted it more than UNC, how they played harder. Um, and it's just saying, look, we can't do that again. And so I don't think he was trying to be, you know, trying to provide any kind of hyperbole or anything like that. He was just stating the facts as they were. And you're right. You know, if that comes from, you know, somebody that's third string, you know, a second year player, then you kind of brush it aside. But when, when a veteran, a veteran leader uh, that's played in a lot of games make that kind of comment, I mean, I think that kind of rings true that, Hey, he's, he's not just making something up. I mean, this is kind of how it played out. And so, uh, you know, hopefully they learn from that. But yeah, I mean, the, the fact that that was even an option is a little, a little shocking. 
uh, a lot shocking. Yeah. So uh, my my reaction, by the way, if you've seen, uh, the you know if you've seen Anchorman, there's that there's that moment where he just he he says, "I don't believe you." <laughs> I I actually do believe that, that him when he says, you know, we we took him lightly and so on, but. If you're going to take that team lightly and then you're going to say, well, we're, we're, we're not going to let that happen again this year. My immediate response is, I don't believe you. Because if you're going to do that then, and that, that's how you're going to handle that, given the track record over the last couple of years, I, I just have a hard time thinking that you're really going to flip the switch it's it, it so many so many, I don't get what it is where there's so many so many people so many players so many full teams that believe they can just flip the switch when they want to and you know suddenly they're going to be good but that's not the way things work you have to actually practice consistently you have to hold a standard of consistent excellence in order to have the switch to flip to begin with and yeah I I don't believe you. It certainly explains a lot, or, or <laughs> um, yeah, something like that over what's going on. And I'm not letting you off on part two, but got to talk about Jersey Mike's. Do you guys need a quick and easy lunch or tailgate option for a football game, specifically Pitt, coming up in a day on Saturday? Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill is your place to go for a tasty and efficient dining solution. Our guys at Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill have partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for IC Podcast listeners. Right now, use the code HEELS15, get that 15% off your order online only. Use it for lunch, small group, or use it on Saturday for a big tailgating order. Here's how it works. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. It'll show the locations nearest you. Pick one of the four in Chapel Hill area click on your order do your favorite subs at checkout enter heels 15 and get that 15 percent off skip the line head straight to the register and grab your food and you're on your way do it today place an online order at one of the four chapel hill and hillsborough locations remember heels 15 elliott road jersey mikes off mlk right off i-40 jersey mikes and at falcon bridge shopping center on 54 right off i-40 Perfect for the crowd coming from the Raleigh way to the game on Saturday. And then there's one in Hillsborough right off exit 261 on I-40. Look for Jersey Mike's inside Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. And also coming soon, two new locations open near Briar Chapel in Chatham County and off 15501 on the way to Durham. There's no denying that Jersey Mike's subs are delicious, so take advantage of this deal and support the IC podcast. And part two to my question jason that i was going to get to um, but greg's uh, revelation there sort of just has got me tossed and i think we really need to start drinking bourbon and knowing things for these podcasts but do we have uh, to know anything here i mean sometimes not knowing is a whole lot easier i mean at least drink bourbon that makes it nicer and you need to try some sometime i'd love to see you um with a few glasses of uh <laughs> some of the good stuff i, I cook with it I definitely cook with it. Uh, oh I got I got some killer bourbon chicken now. Okay, you make the chicken. Greg and I'll handle the bourbon. Let me ask you about one player. 
and how one player can make such a difference. And that's Malik Carney. Now, I'm not saying Cal is a world beater. I'm not saying East Carolina is a world beater. But how can one player being absent make such a large difference in a performance of a defense? Uh, or, or am I missing something? Because he's the only thing that was different. And East Carolina struggled against App State. Your thoughts on Carney's absence? He's, of course, not going to be there against Pitt. Yeah, you know, I I don't think it was just one difference. Um, I do think Carney's absence made a difference in terms of he was regularly in the Cal backfield and causing causing pressure and havoc in the backfield. And if you we've talked about this on this show before, where it, it, one of the keys to having a successful defense is having that dude up front who forces you as an offense to have to account for him the guy that's going to cause havoc, that Dexter Lawrence or that Aaron Donald, where suddenly you're going to have to account for that dude. And he changes, it changes everything around him because now you're going to have to add an extra guy to that guy. You have to, you, you, you may want to account for, you have to account for him in specific ways in the running game. Maybe you don't call certain pass plays or whatever. So yeah, I mean that, that can make a difference, but I don't think he's quite that big of a, of a difference there. I, I, what I saw against, against uh, ECU and the further distant I get from it, the more I, more I I'm convinced of this is in the first half, the Carolina defense was generally in position to make stops and make plays. And there were a number of, a number of occasions where you had a guy in, in terrific pass coverage or a guy just, right where you're supposed to be to, to make this or that tackle. And for whatever reason, you know, the ECU receiver made a great play or there was just a perfect throw or something happened where it just didn't go right for Carolina early on defense. And what it looked like to me is after about the first quarter and a half of that, there, there were three drives or so where there were just some really frustrating plays where it's like, as a defense, like, what more can I do? as a defender than what I just did. I just did everything right. And he still caught it, caught it for a big play. I mean, how does this happen? There were a few of those. And then what it looked like to me was the Carolina defense started pressing. There were guys that started not trusting that the guy next to them was actually going to get their job done. And then all of a sudden that guy's out of his gap and this guy's freelancing a little bit here and the discipline starts to, to, to go. And that's when, basically defensive Armageddon started in the second half. In the second half, it wasn't just uh, a guy getting beat because the offensive player made a great play. There were guys that, that there, there were situations where the defense got beat just because guys weren't in the right spots. And that didn't happen as much in the first half. So it wasn't just Carney being out. I think it's a factor. Maybe a couple of those longer throws don't happen because he, he gets pressure or something. Um, one guy can make a big difference because, you know, entire games come down. Mac Brown used to say that, that every game is decided by five plays. Basically what you do on those five plays and you never know which five plays they're going to be, but every game is going to be decided by five plays. Well, he's kind of right. And the thing is that one player, if that one player can win one of those two or three early plays that might've turned into another one, then that can make that big of a difference. So you know, hopefully from Carolina's perspective, he was the difference, right? Because as he returns, 
then maybe maybe that changes everything again. But I'm not persuaded that it was just that. Maybe it made enough of a difference on a couple of those plays that the that the uh, spiral wouldn't have happened. But you know, maybe not. I don't know. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna add some some depth to what Jason just said to kind of flesh out his points because I, I think he's spot on. Uh, but in, after the ECU game, when we're talking to the the players, the defensive players, J.K. Britt, Cole Holcomb, and some others, um, after after that loss, uh, one thing that they mentioned is the fact that you know, while you miss Malik's contributions on the field, you know, in, ter- in terms of production, I mean that's obvious. But where they really missed him is his leadership, because he is such a vocal leader and has really taken on that role towards the end of last year and especially this off season. Uh, and I think that really played a role in some of this. I think it was the snowball effect. Like Jason said, uh, North Carolina, they were in position early, and then ECU started making plays. And you know, Papuch has really talked about earlier this week that you know, on the perimeter especially, but in the secondary as a whole, they didn't win enough of those 50-50 balls. And so ECU won some of those. They started to have some success. It kind of gets UNC on their heels a little bit because ECU goes down and scores on their first drive. Now all that confidence you had coming out of Cal, you know, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. ECU scores on their first drive. And because maybe you don't have that vocal leader on the field to say, look, guys, forget about it. Just, just put it in the past. Let's focus on what we're doing right now. Things kind of spiral out of control. ECU builds confidence because they start having success. UNC is not having success. So they start questioning themselves maybe because they don't have that vocal leader. Uh, like Jason said, they don't trust each other as much as they should be. And so there's just a lot of breakdowns. And I think we saw that throughout the game. Uh, and so I think the fact that – I think the fact that the defense struggled the way it did was surprising. And people kind of gave Larry Fedora a hard time earlier this week because he made the comment that the defense was making some uncharacteristic mistakes. And people were like, well, they've, they've made mistakes like this for years. But not really if you look at the Cal game. You know, against Cal, they played very solid. And so you know, when you carry that forward and you factor in what happened in training camp, the coaching staff really thought that they had moved past some of those issues in the past. But yet, here it comes again against ECU. And so I think everybody was a little surprised at how it played out. Uh, and one thing that, that Papucha said on Wednesday or Tuesday of this week was, look, I understand that Carney is the vocal leader, but there are other veterans on this defense. And it's not like this was a surprise where we learned that Malik was not going to be playing the day before the game. They knew this you know, at the beginning of training camp. And so there's plenty of time to account for that. And players, you know, while you don't have Miles Dorn back there against the ECU because he's out, you do have Holcomb, you do have J.K. Britt, you do have you guys like Patrice Renee who've played in a lot of games over the years and the entire defensive line's experience. So there's plenty of guys out there that have to take on that role of being a leader while Carney's out. You know, Carney's on the sideline, and he can talk as much as he can during in between series, but somebody has to take that role in the game. And I, I think this is kind of a good example where maybe the production's not what they miss so much, but the leadership, the, the void there, really kind of snowballed and became a problem as the game went on. It's an interesting discussion. We could probably go on and on and on about it. I think as far as ownership, we like to knock the coaches a lot and, and, you know, they deserve a fair share of being knocked. But at some point, 
Jason, you can speak to this a little bit. At some point, the players have to take ownership of what's going on on the field. Now, is it ultimately the coach's responsibility? Yes, I get that. But um, if Carney's out, for instance, then other guys have to step up and fill the void. Um, you can't have a bunch of followers, especially on a football team. And then you see guys that are veterans making bonehead plays that cost uh, that turn the momentum of the game. So where's the line, Jason, as far as it's on the players versus it's on the coaches when you get in a situation like North Carolina's been thus far this season? So I would say it's 100% on the coaches and 100% on the players. And I understand that, uh, kind of. So it, the, ultimately, everything goes back to the coaches in terms of – I'm counting on my fingers. I'm trying to figure in, out how that math works. But. In terms of responsibility. Well, see, percentages can – you know, 100% you can have 100% of something or you can have – you know, percentages multiply, right? You, you can have 200% growth. So depending on how you're thinking about it, it can work. But no, I mean, the, the way this works is – Coaches are ultimately responsible for the you ha, you recruited these guys. You're the one that brought these guys on your campus. You're the one that went out and got them. You're the one that has provided the 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 vision and the infrastructure and everything else to uh, to to help these players succeed. And ultimately, it's your vision that you have to get these players to buy into to create the culture that you want. So ultimately, the responsibility writ large for, the, for a program, at least over time, is all on coaches. Because you have, to, you have to, to build that. You have to, to get people to buy into your, to your, uh, to your vision. You have to get those play, the right players, the right personnel into places. All of that's, you know, it's just like any business. The CEO and executive team is responsible for what's going on in the business. On the flip side, though, those players who are on campus are also completely responsible for what they choose to do. So if you get guys on campus who just decide that they like being football players and like the perks of being football players and would rather, you know, play a little bit of Fortnite at, at home during the summer than, you know, put in the extra time, then it's that player's fault. I mean, the coaches are not actually allowed to monitor so much stuff during the during the summer and off the field. I mean, you're only allowed 20 hours of, of of coaching contact with these players during the season, even. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot. There's not as much that coaches can do as as what a lot of people think. And in that at, at that level, it is on the players. It is on 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 players to decide. I want to be a winner, and I'm not going to tolerate, especially seniors and especially older players who've been in the program. I'm not going to tolerate anything less than this this kind of excellence that I'm going to hold my teammates accountable to and I'm going to set the example and so on. So the thing is, if the reason I say it's 100% on both is because you, if the coaches set that, that, uh, that, that vision and everything else and then you get a few bad apples on that campus, yeah, it's the coach's responsibility for having recruited him and yeah, you know, maybe a couple bad breaks happen and a couple of the big leaders get injured or leave or something. You could have the right vision, the right attempts, you know, go do more or less the right things. And it doesn't go right because you have the wrong players basically start to take leadership and things go the wrong direction. So without player cooperation, nothing the coaches do is going to matter. 
And on the flip side, you can have players who completely buy in and try and, and do everything they can. They work their butts off. But if the coaching staff is, is asking them to do the wrong things and isn't setting the correct, uh, the correct culture, then that's not going to work either. So it's not a matter of, you know, well, it's, you know, 50% this, 60% this or whatever. It, you, you can't do that. You have to, have that, that's, what, that's what makes this so complicated and so difficult. It's so difficult to su- sustain success because the margins are so thin because if there's, if there's slippage on either side, it, it's recur- it, it impacts the other. It, it actually, uh, it's, it's like in, in, you know, various games and things where you have a force multiplier. If you have coaches that do a great job setting the uh, setting the culture and 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 with X's and O's asking the players to do the right thing and everything, that's fantastic. But it's only going to go so far until you get the force multiplier of the players actually buying in and then enforcing team leadership and 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 you know you're not going to be a great team if it's coach led. Uh, this is something that uh, one of one of the other. Uh, there's a, another uh, former Florida State player who was on social media talking about FSU stuff this week, and he said, "Listen, I've been on on coach-led teams, on coach uh, where the coaches, you know, had to push everybody, and I've been on player-led teams, and the player-led teams are always better. Player-led teams win championships, and he's right about that. But the thing is, you don't get those without making sure you get those right kids on campus, and at least setting some vision and enabling those guys to be leaders. So you have to have both." Yeah, and it's certainly a cycle, and it can be a cycle down, or it can be a cycle up. It's kind of like it's never stagnant. Yeah, exactly. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. I think a coach in Chapel Hill said that at one time. All right, boys, you want a simple, easy, better way to travel to UNC football and basketball games? Now's your chance. Hills Travels partnered with Inside Carolina to provide simple and easy travel for select UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, the president of Away to Go Travel, is a Greensboro native and a diehard Carolina fan, and he wanted to find an easier, better way, and more efficient way for Carolina fans to get to away games. So right now, HillsTravel.com is selling packages to get you to the Virginia game in Charlottesville on October 27th. This is a one-day bus trip from Chapel Hill. They pick you up. They take you to the stadium and they bring you home. All you have to do is show up, cheer for the Tar Heels, and ride the bus. The leaves should be changing. Should be a great chance to check out a great town and be there for Carolina and Virginia, the oldest rivalry in the South. Make the process easy. Ride with other diehard UNC fans, and don't worry about parking or having to drive. It is a win-win situation. Visit HillsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060. There's no better way to spend a holiday than watching the Tar Heels play basketball. In the desert, no less. In Las Vegas, even better. Hills Travels offering a package that includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip ground transportation from the airport to the hotel, and three nights at the Aria Resort and Casino in Vegas. No better time spent in Vegas to see the Tar Heels. Visit HillsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060. Support Chuck Joyce and Away to Go Travel and help them support the IC podcast. Anyway, let, let's turn this discussion to Pitt specifically. And we've been here before in the last few years. Greg, I'll start with you. And Jason, I certainly want your opinion on as well. The way to beat Pitt is to get the ball downfield, to stretch the field against Pitt. 
My question, Greg, Nathan Elliott spoke a lot about accuracy this week and what he's been doing to get there. If he's out there against Pitt, um, is he, do you feel like, or does he feel confident enough from talking to him that he can accomplish what it takes uh, to do it against a team like Pitt that will give up the long ball um, if you can make them give it up? Yeah, that's a great question, Tommy. And I think that the fact that there were a number of balls that he threw against Cal and some against ECU that put Anthony Ratliff-Williams in in kind of a a 50-50 jump ball situation. And North Carolina, I think coming into this year, would like those situations. Unfortunately, against ECU, kind of what it – uh, at the end of the Cal game, too, where it kind of got to is that you, you were focusing on you know, maybe some of the, the quarterback run game, uh, some some bubble screens, and some some deep throws to Ratliff Williams. I mean, that's pretty much your offense. And so you would say against Pitt with the, the way that uh, Narduzzi runs that defense with a lot of quarters play, that maybe you can get lucky and hit some big plays down the field. So I, I think the opportunity is there. But you, the way this offense is designed, and it always has been, I mean, there's a reason that quarterbacks consistently, dating back to Middle Tennessee State, West Counts completed like 72% of his passes back in 2000, 2001. Um, these are, the idea is short passes, long gains. That's what players have said to me time and time again over the years. But if, if Elliott is struggling to complete 50% of his passes against FBS opponents, that's a problem in this offense. And so we've talked a lot about arm strength. And he doesn't have the biggest arm in the world. We know that. But a lot of the passes he threw against ECU were nowhere close to being accurate. And even if you know, I could get out there and throw it hard enough, if I'm accurate, to make some of those passes. Uh, but as he said, you know, he was he was talking about throwing balls in the dirt, airmailing people on short passes. Uh, and so if you can't do that to you know, utilize the bubble screens or utilize some of the, the quick hit passes to to work as part of the run game, to open things up so that you can have some some time to throw some of those deep balls, that becomes a problem. And and the fact that you know, he struggled with accuracy last year. And we haven't seen through two games that he's made much improvement in that regard. And I, I did find it very interesting that he talked about one thing he's really tried to do since the ECU game is to put himself in difficult positions in practice because to use his words, sometimes you know, it's easy to get comfortable uh, in, in practice and then you get in a live game and you're having to throw from positions that you're not used to throwing. So I found that very interesting. I'd like to get Jason's take on that part of it. Uh, but can he do it? No. You would think so. The coaching staff has some faith in him. Have we seen him do it? Not necessarily. And I think that's the, that's the biggest concern. Jason, your thoughts. I mean, how do you practice uh, awkward throws or putting yourself in that position? And uh, can Carolina be successful attacking Pitt the way you think they need to be um, if Elliott's the guy? Well, um, I actually used to have my – quarterbacks work on awkward throws actually that was something we we had uh during our individual periods I actually usually about once a week would have them have them work on off-platform throws so basically 
you have someone rush them from a different angle or whatever, and I'm requiring that they have to slide and they have to throw without their feet properly set so that they're learning to, to use their, their, the, the proper torque from their hips, even when their feet aren't set. And the reason that, you know, quarterbacks throw more accurately when their feet are set is because it allows the kinetic chain from the hips up to be consistent. What you have to do to be a, a really good off, uh, off platform thrower, or, you know, what you're talking about with these awkward, awkward throws, a really good off platform thrower is going to be someone who's able to uh, produce the right kinetic chain when the feet aren't set. So basically you're still getting the same kind of um, torque up the body uh, that, and, and the same basic angles through the arm that you would get even if the feet are set. So that was the aim of some of those drills. You can do it. You can do some drills on it. How effective they are. I mean, it's something you, you have to do a lot. You have to do during the off season and even then, I mean, you can debate on how effective that can be. I, I'm of the view that you can get better at it. I mean, I think the the best evidence for that is actually Aaron Rodgers, who's probably, I mean, I think he's the best thrower of the football probably ever, uh, at least at the NFL level. And, you know, he's a guy that got, has gotten immensely better at off-platform throws. And you see the way that he works his, his, his tour and all that. It's masterful. I mean, you, you can really see how much he's worked on getting, on being able to do that with it, without his feet set. So you can drill it, you can do it, but it has to become habitual and you, it has to be something that you spend, spend a good amount of time doing and, and it takes a while to get there. As for whether or not North Carolina is going to be able to make the throws necessary to beat Pitt, those downfield post routes and seams and that sort of thing against the quarters looks that you're going to get against Pitt. You're going to have to, you're going to have to be able to do it and and to beat them. And honestly, I've seen no evidence that, that with Nathan Elliott at quarterback, they can do it on at least consistently enough to that where, to where I would feel like they're going to get a lot out of it. So I'm not, I'm not sure they can again. So, so far. and, And I hate saying this because again, he's a guy who's, who's worked really hard and he's a guy who has, he's done everything right. But at the end of the day, last year, his completion percentage was right around, what, 52% on the year? Uh, and then this year, he's right again, 51, 52%. I don't know exactly what it is at the moment, but it's right in the 51, 52% range again. And it's not like they're asking him to make a ton of really difficult throws. At some point, you, you are who you are. And, you know, Fedora has said this before about recruiting quarterbacks is that, you know, it's one thing that tends not to change very often is is quarterbacks getting more accurate over time. You know, you you get you get guys that by the time they get to the college level rarely get a lot more accurate. You 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 either are or you're not accurate usually. I mean, you can get a little better and 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 it has happened, but it is more rare than not it's much rarer than not to see a guy suddenly go from being a 49% uh, completion percentage guy to being a 60 com- 60% completion guy. You just don't see that that often. It's it's pretty rare to, to to see that kind of change. And given how rare that is, I'm I think at this point you kind of my my thought is that you probably you probably seeing what what you got, which is a little discouraging. So Greg, let's pivot to the defensive side of the ball for North Carolina. You wrote the article uh, their run defense will be tested, and we've talked about it before. Pitt has had Carolina on the ropes and just quit running the ball for whatever reason. Um, I cannot imagine that Narduzzi does that again, even though we've probably said that 
going on three times now. But your take on that approach, stopping the running game, like with no Crawford, we've already talked about no Carney. Uh, who steps up for North Carolina in the run game and limits Pitt's damage? Because I've said it for more than one year, probably all seven. If I'm playing North Carolina, I'm running the ball 90 times a game, uh, like Army, until they prove they can stop it. Pitt's yet to do it, and that's why they're 0 for Fedora since Fedora's been there. So your thoughts there? Well, I think it's important to note that, that Sean Watson's in his second year at Pitt, and he's he's been a lot of different places. He actually uh, offensive coordinator at Nebraska when, when John Papuchas was there. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator at Louisville when Louisville beat North Carolina uh, in, in Fedora's first year. That was a 39-34 game up there. Uh, so he's had a lot of success over the years. Uh, but if you look at what he did last year, the reason I bring him up, Pittsburgh ran for 267 yards, averaged 5.9 yards per carry, and had four rushing touchdowns. And probably the reason that Pittsburgh lost that game at Heinz Field last November is I believe it was Darren Hall. I could be wrong on the player. Uh, but a Pitt player was was running into the end zone, and I think it was Case and Collins that, that knocked the ball out. Uh, and they were able to return it up the field, and that kind of turned the tide for UNC. So I think he gets it. I think he understands uh, where some of the fractures are. If you look at what they've done so far this year, uh, you know Kenny Pickett is. I think he's got some potential, but they've been very careful with him, uh, trying to kind of work him in. And if you look at their their splits, I mean they're, they've thrown I think sixty four passes, and they've rushed the ball one hundred twenty times. So that's a, that's a pretty healthy uh, ratio there for the run game. And when you've got guys like Kadri Olsen and, and Darren Hall are both seniors, you probably feel pretty comfortable with that. And then when you factor in, you know, they do a lot of the jet sweeps and a lot of those things that kind of mix it up, that, that provides a test. And I think that we talked about Malik Carney early, earlier. UNC had hoped to have Aaron Crawford back for this game. Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to play. So now you're talking about two starters along the defensive line. They're not going to be available. Uh, not a good thing. We're not quite sure on Miles Dorn. Uh, but when you got two key pieces, probably your, your best defensive end and, and likely your best defensive tackle, unable to play, that does play into Pitt's hands a little bit. So John Papuch has got to do a pretty good job of, of making sure that, that Pickett's the guy that beats him. You don't want this run game. To, to win the game for Pitt because that allows Narduzzi to really have a control of the clock and, and to control the game in terms of how he wants to run it. But if you're able to you know, get some tackles for loss and to force Pickett to, to beat you with his arm, I think things maybe can shift in your favor. Uh, but that's a big ask right now. Y'all ready to do the predictions? I Yeah, I guess so. Sure. Let's do it. Uh, Jason, I'll make you go first. Uh, Carolina and Pitt, I believe in the preseason – we all had this as a win for North Carolina. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's how we did it. Uh, now here we are. Jason, your thoughts on how this one shakes out? Well, let me see. I'm typing in a random number generator. <laughs> um, all right, so let's go with a maximum of, say, 40. All right, and all right, so I'm going to go with, uh, let's see. Carolina 23, Pitt 34, thanks to my handy-dandy random number generator here. 
and uh, my conviction that I should not pick North Carolina to win again until they demonstrate that they actually can execute sufficiently to win. So I'm going to go with uh, Pitt 34-23 over North Carolina. All right, Greg, what you looking at? 35-24, does that sound about right? <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I actually don't think Pitt is that good of a team. Uh, you know, They weren't expected to be. I don't think you might think they're very good. Uh, but I think the fact that this is a home game, uh, the, the team has a reason to rally. I think this is a game they can win, and I think this is a game that uh, they're going to win. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how they're going to win it, but I do think North Carolina wins this game. Uh, they have struggled to score. That's been a big issue. So I think this is going to be a low-scoring affair, but I think <laughs> the defense shows up. So I'm going to say North Carolina 24, Pitt 21. It's just tough. I am not letting Lucy jerk that damn ball out again. Um, and I'm going with Jason's mindset of, and I hate to be this way, and I'm sort of living up to the, you know, the glass half empty type person, but I'm not going to pick North Carolina again until they show that they can actually get it done for 60 minutes. I think this game is fairly close. I think a big turnover and a dumb penalty probably plays a big role. I'm going to say Pitt 28, Carolina 17. Um, that could change depending if uh, number six plays a healthy amount. I really believe that as well. But anyway, we'll see games at 12:20 kick, I believe, on Saturday. Inside Carolina, of course, will be a part of the WCHL pregame tailgate show. You'll hear segment from this show on that show jason and greg it's always fun boys it's getting more fun by the week oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening to the inside carolina podcast presented by jersey mike subs of chapel hill get 15 percent off your online order with the promo code heels 15 go to jerseymikes.com slash order now